Hey everyone, this is Josh Itzo, author of The Fiduciary Formula, and you're listening to The Fiduciary You Podcast, where I share the latest information on corporate retirement plan trends, ideas, and best practices. On the show, I feature industry experts across multiple disciplines to get their unique perspectives and actionable insights about what it takes to navigate the complexities of ERISA and provide a great retirement plan for employees in a rapidly changing world. If you're a retirement plan decision maker at your company or a retirement industry professional, this podcast is for you. Welcome to episode number nine of the Fiduciary You podcast. My guest today is Eugenie Prochenko, who is co-founder and CEO of EvoShare. EvoShare is an innovative cashback rewards platform that enables people to save for retirement while shopping online and locally at stores, bars, and restaurants. Their service allows individuals to spend money at their favorite businesses and through booking online travel and receive up to 30% cashback rewards towards things like 401k, 403b, HSA, 529, and brokerage accounts. On today's episode, we discuss how the idea for EvoShare was sparked by a billboard, how they got their start in the 401k and 403b space working with employers, the challenges Arissa created for Eugenie and his team as they architected their solution and how they overcame these obstacles, the counterintuitive way that EvoShare creates alignment between spending and saving, and the growing opportunity and demand for EvoShare in the wealth management space. And be sure to listen to the end where Eugenie shares his advice on why 401k advisors need to continue to put pressure on 401k record keepers to innovate and offer solutions that include advisors rather than disintermediate them. And so with that introduction, I hope you enjoy this episode of the Fiduciary You podcast with Eugenie Prochenko from EvoShare. Eugenie Prochenko, welcome to the Fiduciary You podcast. Thanks so much for being a guest today. Thank you for having me. So you are the founder and CEO of EvoShare, which we'll get into, but I think for just simplicity purposes, is a technology solution that provides cash back for purchases that can be contributed into different financial accounts. So things like 401k plans or IRAs or HSAs or 529 plans. Did I get that correct? Yeah, that's true. Great. Well, why don't you, for listeners that may not be familiar with EvoShare, why don't you provide a little bit of background about you and about the company and really kind of tell your origin story? Where where did EvoShare come from? How'd you come up with the idea? And talk a little bit about your business. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Well, EvoShare isn't a short story. The, the idea of this platform was born in Ukraine like six or seven years ago, but it was just an idea. We were doing something else. I was in charge of the largest microloan provider next Soviet Union area. It was a pawn shop network. And of course, they, they evolved to a financial organization that has payday loans. And that's exactly what I didn't like. I don't like making poor people even poor. So I left the company. And uh, we founded a couple tech startups and we sold them eventually to competitors. In 2015, it became obvious that Ukraine is doing not so good. We felt not really comfortable developing our ideas. So we actually compiled the list of 100 cities. And by we, I mean, um, Myself and my co-founder, Dan, my friend and co-founder, we kind of high school friends. This is not our first business together. He's a CTO. I'm the CEO. So the tech guy and sales guy, perfect combination, as we've heard from our venture capital partners. So we compiled a list of 100 cities and we boiled it down to three. It was uh, San Francisco, Singapore, and London. And I've been in London many times. Singapore is like my second home. But I never had a chance to visit the United States. So we flew to U.S. just to see what's going on, right? And uh, we landed in Detroit. So I still have my cell phone number from Michigan. And landed in Detroit. And no offense, Detroit, but uh, in two weeks, I said to myself, if all America like this, and it was a really depressive area that we we had a chance to see. I said, if all America like, like this, I'm going to London. But, of course, we had our 
flights booked and we flew to San Fran. That was a different story. We decided to found the company here. So that's how EvaShare's story began. But the idea that we brought to United States was a completely different from what we are doing right now. It was similar to what Amazon Smile does. When you buy something, a portion goes to the charity of your choice. We were trying to do the same stuff with a twist, but on a brick and mortar level. We were working with moms and pops uh, shops, restaurants, groceries. Well, and in, in a year from that moment, it became obvious that we are not getting any traction. I think you might have picked the wrong company to fight with. Yeah, um, yeah. Surprisingly, we failed to compete with Amazon. Well, but uh, everything worked out well when I saw a Prudential billboard. Now, I don't know who wrote this line. Thank you very much to this person. So the line was something, something like, the best donation is donation to your retirement. It was a donation period, uh, maybe like September through December. And they were introducing these billboards to U.S. people. And it clicked. I said, what if instead of channeling money to charities, we'll do this for 401k plan? That's how the idea was born. And I called our attorney and I said, hey, his name is Eric. And I said, Eric, oh, I have an idea. Can we talk about it? Well, he said, well, give me your money and we're going to talk about it. <laughs> so I did. And in a week, he said, well, it's impossible. There is no third-party contributions allowed in 401k plans. Only employee and employer can contribute to 401k plan. So I was, I was a little bit disappointed. He drank a bottle of water. <laughs> and next, not not a, and the light bulb went off. Uh, yeah, but it was not a bottle, but it was a pretty hefty, a decent amount of alcohol. And in the morning, I came up with a plan, and I called Dan. I explained what we could do. Eventually, it became it became our proprietary process of putting third party contributions into strictly regulated DC plans. So now we can do this, and we are the only company that are doing this in the United States. Basically, we convert all these commissions, cashbacks, mileage points, someday, not now, but we are in conversation with airlines. We are converting them into something tangible, into contributions to 401k plans. We also help people to pay down their student loans. We can forward this money to toward IRA accounts. 529 accounts, and we partner with many organizations that, I would say, enhance their products with our technology. We do not compete with anyone. We don't compete with financial advisors because we don't do advice. We don't compete with record keepers because, yeah, feel free to record keep. What we do, we just collect money from merchants and deliver them to financial industry. We don't manage assets, and essentially we are increasing participation and contribution rates. That's what we do. So to be clear, essentially what you've you've created is this right this kind of two sided marketplace in some ways, right? You have people who are spending money, and you're helping drive kind of traffic to different merchants. Those merchants, when people are buying things with their credit card or so on and so forth, there is a, you know, essentially for that, that traffic, if you will, you're getting kind of rebates and then you're passing through some of those savings back to individual investors. And technically, it's not a contra third party contribution you're making, for instance, into the 401k plan. What you're doing is more of like an offset or a credit. So if somebody gets, $50, let's say, for a quarter of, you know, savings or rebates through kind of using kind of your network, if you will, then you will essentially communicate with their company to say, you know, so-and-so, you know, make sure this quarter that you increase their contribution into their 401k account by $50. And effectively, for the participant, you know, they're getting $50 in kind of rebates or credits, if you will, deposited as a cash back, and then you're they're then putting that $50, their own contribution, if you will, into their 401k plan. And so it nets out 
that way. You're not actually taking those savings and depositing them directly in the 401k plan, but it's more of like an offsetter or a credit. Is that kind of a correct way to think about it? Yeah, you cracked the code, but uh, it's not it's not an offset. It's actually net positive because if you are doing um, pre-tax contributions as an individual, if you are doing pre-tax contributions, your decision to increase your contribution rate will uh, impact your taxes because now your adjusted gross income will be lower, so you will pay less taxes from that paycheck. When we send money to you to offset this additional deduction, it's non-taxable according to IRS because rebates are non-taxed. Now you're actually net positive. Oh, it's That's just a really, really good point. Yeah. Oh, it's just a wash if you are doing uh, Roth. Roth, yeah. But the beauty of it, a rebate being non-taxable, really mm-hmm. kind of that's where some of the magic happens. You know, I have so many questions. You know, obviously you started in the 401k space. Just a quick little question. You know, ERISA is a um, it's a pretty complex set of laws. I'm sure the billboard from Prudential didn't necessarily say how complex it was. So if you had known how complex ERISA was, do you think you would uh, you would use kind of 401k plans as the the first place to go and and try to build a better mousetrap? Well, if I knew everything what I know right now about 401k plan, I would never come up with this crazy idea. This is for sure. (laughs) This is super over-regulated industry, IRS, SEC, DOL. I'm not jealous that I'm not a financial advisor at all. So I don't want to be, I don't know how you guys how you are doing this because it's it's just enormous amount of pressure from compliance perspective from fiduciary perspective it's not an easy profession to be in so uh, luckily for 401k industry i didn't know that 401k five years ago or six years ago i didn't know that 401k plan exists so i just there is no such a thing in ukraine we've done many researches and many surveys, nationwide surveys, and people were saying that they would love these rebates to go to 401k plan rather than IRA. So I knew about IRAs. Then I learned about 401k. We would try to accommodate for this request. That's how this proprietary process was born. But again, we've started from the hardest and most complicated industry in the United States. I think it's much easier to sell weapon or drugs. I, I don't know. How complex it, and regulated. Yeah, yeah. At least you know that you're doing something wrong. With the 401k, you never know, right? One compliance department will say, yeah. hey, this is something that we don't like. Another one, hey, we're okay with this. So what, you sh- what should you do? So I, I want to dive into kind of the experience from a plan sponsor perspective. So from a company perspective, but before that, from a, you know, from a participant perspective and, and from an investor perspective. So talk a little bit about kind of the, the network, like how many, how many merchants are you guys working with? Is this something that is, is it national? Is it localized? Is it a small network? And is it, is it a big network? Like what, how many merchants do you have? What's the size of that? What's that look like? How do people get those rebates? Do you send them a check? Do they have a credit card? Like, Talk a little bit about what the experience is like from a participant perspective or from a, uh, an individual perspective. Yeah, sure. A little bit of history again. Probably four years ago, we tried to acquire merchants one by one. We were trying to do this. And um, during six months, we acquired seven merchants not seven thousand but seven that's it so it became it's not scalable approach so then we looked into affiliate network industry and the next year was dedicated to build a product that is integrated with the major affiliate networks now we are integrated with nine major affiliate networks so they aggregate merchants we don't need to go merchant by merchant. They aggregate merchant. They aggregate offers. We just connect it to the systems. We deliver a user, which is participant in for in the 401k case. 
we deliver the participant to them. They make a purchase. Affiliate networks arrange everything, including collecting the money from the merchant and passing this money to Evershare. And instead of keeping this money, we use our process to put it into 401k plan. So for the participant, it looks like this. Their employer sends a link, employer-specific link to join the program. They click the link. We ask a very general information, name, email, and date of birth. And they're ready to go. They already they have their portal. They have their mobile apps that they can download. They can download browser extension, which we recommend to do because our browser extension will remind you about the cashback opportunities while you are just browsing the web, not exactly shopping. And then you just click the link, activate the cashback, and that's it. We register this transaction, and we do everything in the background to collect the money. If you'd like to to shop uh, offline on a brick-and-mortar level, you have to link your credit to debit card, and it could be any card, the only condition that it shouldn't be discovered. So Visa, MasterCard, and American Express are good to go. So Discover, if you just haven't created a partnership with them or... No, we just, we, we just connect. We connected only to these three major guys, and uh, okay. with Discover is a different situation. So, but eventually, we're going to be there as well. I think. Okay. So. so, am I able as a you know as a participant? Do I have like a dashboard or a portal or anything that I can go on to see how much I've saved? You know, month to date, year to date, to be able to track kind of my purchases yeah. and whatnot. Yeah, of course. You have your dashboard, you have your mobile app, you have your browser extension. All these uh, products will show you how much you would earn if you buy here and how much you've earned during the period. And what's more important, and this is what distinguishes us from uh, many cashback programs, we always show the future value of this particular door that you've just earned. For example, if you are a 30 years old individual, you have 40 years until retirement. We will apply a, a percentage and an APR and calculate what's going to happen with your particular door when you retire. So that we call it future value. The same we are doing for 529 users. We calculate how much it will become when a child will go to to the university or college. Same situation with the student loan. We calculate how much less you're gonna pay in interest if you apply this to this to the, to the principal. So this is what we do. So we always show the future value, the future impact. And you know what? We've managed to convince people to change their their contribution rates. And I'm going to tell you one story. One lady called us when we were in our diapers, maybe four years ago, five years ago. She called us and said, okay, guys, she left a message or voicemail. Said, okay, guys, call me back. You don't know what you've done. It was like scary message. And uh, we, of course, called her back. And she said, well, no, no, everything is great. I just wanted you to know that every time you send me this email with uh, with a cashback, you get this door will become five doors upon your retirement. I thought to myself, what will, okay, if this one door will become five, will my hundred become uh, 500? So she decided to contribute out of her own pocket because we showed her over and over again, we showed her this future value. So the result is that she saved with your share somewhere around 40 bucks, 36, 40 bucks. And she contributed $800 to her IRA from her own pocket, and she was not contributing hmm. uh, to her IRA for two years before that. So this is what we do. We change behavior. So you guys are using some, call it behavioral design techniques, if you will, to kind of frame what the savings could look like, these kind of relatively small amounts, but small amounts turn into 
really big amounts over time. Ben Franklin had a great a great saying. I often use this when I talk about retirement plan fees. He, he once said that small holes sink big ships. But on the flip side of that, right, small small amounts of savings that have the ability to compound over time and grow can can uh, turn into really big amounts over time. So. Just in looking kind of on your website and doing a little due diligence in terms of, you know, today's episode, it looks like that through these affiliate networks that there's about 10,000 plus kind of businesses that people can shop at and receive cash back and credit. And just in looking at some of the names, things like Walmart and Macy's and PetSmart and Expedia and JCPenney and Target, and I'm sure uh, there's quite a bit more Groupon, Nordstrom, I mean, you name it, Barnes & Noble, you name it. Most of the companies that people probably shop with yeah, are available. And I'm assuming you're getting, you're, you're getting access through these affiliate networks, right? So you're, you're, that's, that's kind of your distribution mechanism, if you will. Correct. Yeah. There are 1,300, one tweet, 1,300 major businesses that we work online with, like you just mentioned, Walmart and Groupon, all the major ones. And around 9,000 businesses uh, locally, and it's nationwide. Even in, uh, if you go to Hawaii, you will find an opportunity to, to shop locally in Honolulu and other cities there. So we are nationwide. Yeah, we are proud to build this network. And our website isn't updated yet. It's under development. Starting January, you will see that we added almost 700,000 hotels that offer okay. great opportunities to save and get cash back. So what will happen if you're an Inosher user, you will spend less money that you would normally spend through Orbitz or Expedia or Hotels.com, probably 10 or 20% less than they offer. And you will get up to 20% cash back on top of your savings. This is what we okay. are launching right now. So it's Got available it. for Got all it. users, but our website isn't coming. Is it just a web-based app or do you guys have a mobile app as well that, that people can use? Yeah, we launched uh, both mobile apps for Android and iOS in September. Okay. So now they are available. Just out of curiosity, you had mentioned that, you know, obviously it's easy to track these types of savings, if you will, when people are shopping online, but you also have, call it, you know, roughly 9,000 or so local businesses. And in order to track that, people have to essentially link up, and I think it's for free, but link up their credit card or a credit card with the system. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. And uh, I'm glad you asked because... The technology that we are using allows us not to store credit card number or any other information. We don't ask for okay. any other information besides credit card number, but we don't store even that. So we pass this information to credit card networks and we receive uh, identifier. So it's much safer way to work with them because in the case of the bridge, we could possibly lose identifier, but it's there is no use for this for bad people. So there's a breach of Evo share. That data is basically it's nothing. They you're can't, not holding on to that, yeah. that, that. There's nothing there. So it's mm -hmm. it's you know different story if it's a breach of the credit card network. But if it's yeah. you, know, you know God forbid a breach of, of Evo share. Just out of curiosity, with a mobile app. And with these local businesses, do you, are you guys tapping into like, you know, geolocation services or something along those lines where if I'm out and, you know, my wife and I are going to go to dinner or something like that, that I can go on the EvoShare app and say, okay, I wonder, you know, is there a restaurant we can go to in downtown Baltimore where we live? And if we're choosing yeah, between course. two restaurants, we can see, oh, this one, he this one here is, is, uh, we can get cash back. Yeah, that is exactly how it works. And if you wish, you can set the app in the way the app will notify you that when you are near the location. If you are driving, we will not distract you from driving. But if you are okay. walking or <laughs> standing still, yeah, we will say, okay, uh, Josh, this is a couple of restaurants near you. So maybe you'd like to visit them. 
So here's the deal. Safety first, Eugenie. Safety first. Glad to hear it. No distracted, no distracting driving. Okay. So very cool from a user experience perspective. Sounds like it's, you know, once you're set up, it's, you know, it's, it's pretty easy. What kind of burden is this then putting back on plan sponsors? Because that's most of us that work in the retirement world. I think what we're seeing is that there's a lot of talk within the industry and a lot of fear mongering. I've, I've said this on previous podcasts, but a lot of fear mongering around uh, things like, fiduciary breaches and, you know, ERISA litigation and all that, that stuff. And, and while that is certainly possible for most companies, it's probably improbable they're going to get sued for breach of fiduciary duty. Where more of the financial risk is, is when companies have operational failures as it relates to their retirement plan, because these, comp- these plans are, they're not super easy to run. They're complex. There can be administrative headaches and, you know, you can have errors if it comes to payroll or bad data or whatnot. And so what's the experience is, does this create a lot more work for a plan sponsor when you guys are sending them these amounts to essentially withhold from, you know, participant paychecks on a periodic basis? What's the experience like for a plan sponsor? What do they have to do and how do they get set up? And then what does that look like on an ongoing basis? Yeah. Good question. I only ask good questions, Eugenie. Well, then let me answer like my attorney answers me all the time. He has one answer to all my questions. And he says, it depends. So <laughs> it depends, Josh. But let me give you a couple of uh, scenarios. So first scenario is when we are connected to payroll company, like ADP or Paylocity. We are integrated with them. So we can feed the data directly to the payroll. And what will happen over the course of three months, you just, let's say you saved $100. We send a ACH transfer to a checking account and we feed the data to your payroll file to withdraw this $100 from your paycheck. This is how we are doing this. And we see if you are eligible through the API that we have access to with ADP and Paylocity. These are two companies that we are integrated with. So from operational standpoint, as a plan sponsor, you have to request an integration setup, and that's it. Then, then we take it from there. If we do not have access to payroll file, we use our standalone process, which is not so complicated. It's four times a year. We send a file to plan sponsor and plan sponsor says, okay, this guy is still with us and it's eligible. There is no max out situation. So this person is eligible for additional contributions. And it's an easy process. It takes probably 30 to one hour and it's per quarter. The problem is that people don't believe us. And when we say, okay, it's... 30 minutes, HR people say answers like, we don't believe you. It's going to take a lot of time. And in some cases, when you overthink the situation, it does take a lot of time. Back and forth, they call us, we answer. They call us, we answer. And that is because it's so complicated to be in compliance with uh, 401k rules. In some cases, we even have to amend a plan design document to allow one-time deductions. Not the percentage, but one-time dollar deductions. So uh, when you ask how complicated for plan sponsors to work with us, I answer this question. I'm asking another one. How complicated for EvaShare to work with plan sponsors? Well, we have to include everyone plan sponsor, plan sponsor 401k committee, CEO, CEO for a head of HR, then financial advisor that is a consultant for the plan, maybe record keeper, and always payroll company. So this is a lot of people to convince that we are not doing something wrong. And it takes probably three months to onboard one plan sponsor if we talk to about 401k. If we say, okay, let's put aside 401k component, let people to save toward their emergency saving accounts, which we provide with 
to their IRAs, 529s, HSAs, and even taxable brokerage account if we say, if we talk about wealth managers, right? And wealth managers, their clients are not eligible for IRAs because they're wealthy individuals. So we let people to forward this money to taxable brokerage accounts. All of a sudden, our system becomes very, very easy to implement. It probably will take company to launch, I don't know, half an hour, what, 30 minutes to launch the program, and it's completely hands-off. So no deductions, no payroll connection, no eligibility files going back and forth. So it all becomes very, very easy to implement. Yeah. So the path of least resistance is usually outside of the 401k plan. It's easier to get set up. And, you know, what's interesting is the fact that you guys can do other, you know, you can do HSAs or you can do 529 plans. Or I, I really think what, what's interesting is you brought up kind of emergency savings. You know, that's one of obviously financial wellness is a really hot topic right now. And one of the issues that, you know, a lot of employees are living paycheck to paycheck. And so this is a way potentially that using kind of their spending, their normal spending patterns, there's a way to essentially get some of that back. And and there's a mechanism. So you do have employers where it may not be going into the 401k plan, but it they're able to set it up and, and set up some type of mechanism. I've heard more and more from some companies, especially based on their demographics, that if they have a lot of people living paycheck to paycheck, that's one of the things they're trying to solve for. So that's another way that potentially they can do it. And quite frankly, probably be easier on everybody because there's not the compliance and kind of regulatory hurdles you have to jump through. Is that a fair way to describe it? You are spot on, Josh. It's a hot topic in the industry. And uh, believe it or not, 401k record keepers are really concerned about uh, people not having emergency savings. And it's not only about that. Well, they are good people, right? But they are doing business. And uh, what they see right now is that people are kind of dipping very deep into their 401k plans accounts and withdraw money from them, even with penalty. Current administration made it very easy to withdraw money without penalty. So, of course... Right. They're leaking in assets and they want to prevent people from doing this. They cannot prevent, but what they can do is to educate and let them save for the rainy day. And the EvaShare solution is right. uh, very simple. And, uh, you, you don't have to open a bank account to start saving for, for the rainy day with us. So we spoke with many nonprofits in this space, some companies that are Tied to, I'm not sure if you've heard about this BlackRock Emergency Saving Initiative. They committed $50 million to three nonprofits to develop emergency savings solution that could be implemented okay. nationwide. So yeah. we're talking to them. It's a very interesting conversation and very timely. COVID-19 made it a hot topic. Sure, sure, absolutely, yeah. Warren Buffett once said that you don't see who's swimming without a, you know, naked without a bathing suit until the, the tide goes out, right? When the tide's in, everybody's swimming. It looks like everybody has a bathing suit on. And so I think COVID-19 obviously has exposed, you know, those are probably who are most financially vulnerable. Let me ask you this. Can you do, just out of curiosity, what if, you know, I'm saving plenty for retirement, but I'm charitably inclined? Is there any way to to do charitable deductions or anything like that with with the savings? Can you facilitate any of that? Or can you put it into like a donor-advised fund? Or Everything is possible in fintech, as you know. But And as you know, as you know, we've started from this. And you started where, where you started with Amazon Smile, that kind of idea, competitor. Is that, is that kind of in your uh, wheelhouse? We are hearing this request over and over again. So probably we'll accommodate for this. Not not sure okay. if I'm if I can say in the near future, but certainly in 2021. Yeah, you said you're the sales guy, so you just you know you put it out there and you say it, and then you know all your developers like they yell and scream at you because you you know you promise this stuff and put them under the gun. Yeah, that is what I what I do. I started my career right out of right out of college for a couple of years. I worked in the technology space, and you'd get the sales guys who would 
So what the developers called vaporware, and they would the, there was always this fight back and forth of you know you'd get this the sales guys who'd sell something that didn't exist, and then the developers had to build it, and but that was the term they used vaporware. So one of the things one of the things you mentioned was for scale purposes, right? Getting getting integrations or or partnerships, whether it's through the affiliate network, instead of this kind of one to one acquisition model that you have to go out to you know individual retailers, if you will, or you have to go individually and knock on doors to companies and plan sponsors that the way you can grow is really through being kind of baked into solutions or integrated with solutions. And you had mentioned a couple of payroll companies. Was it Paylocity and ADP? Or as two of the payroll companies that you're you're integrated with. Any other who are some of the integration partners that you guys currently work with? And there's some fintech solutions out there, or obviously I think this fits really well into financial wellness, which is a really hot topic right now. So maybe talk a little bit about some of the partnerships that you guys have and that you've you've developed. Yeah, sure. And I'm glad you mentioned the scalability component of this. So as a startup, we are focused on scalable solutions. And we thought that working with financial advisors and financial advisory shops and financial advisor aggregators like GRPAA, for example, or resources investment advisors that are our partners will give us this scalability. But because of the complexity of this, not complexity of EvoShare solution, but complexity of 401k solution as a whole thing, we weren't able to to scale EvoShare as we planned. We we onboarded hundreds of employers, plan sponsors during this year, but the total reach of people that we have access to isn't there, isn't even close to what we were hoping to get from these partnerships. So then a couple of uh, organizations reached out to us and <laughs> actually it was 401k record keeper and I, and I can name the company, the company called BPAS. That's a record keeper in 401k space. They serve uh, around 500,000 participants. So they said, okay, guys, we want to do it. We like it, but we don't want to do it for 401k. So it was really weird situation when 401k record keeper wanted to do it for something else and specifically for IRAs. So together with this company, we've developed a product named IRA Rewards. And well, as you can imagine, they are responsible for IRA and we are responsible for the rewards. So together, <laughs> yeah. And it's, it, it, it is a very clever move because they will offer it to 401k participants as a sidecar IRA. And when participants change the job, they are not going to lose the asset under the management. So this is the major thing why they developed this. And it was first sign to me, but I didn't pay attention to that. I, I thought, well, it's kind of a weird situation. We're a small company. It's scalable solution. We will accommodate for it, for this. But we were still hoping to convince retirement advisors to push your share forward while they're pushing managed accounts that they're making money on, right? And they don't make money on your share. So yeah. it's hard situation. It's like really hard to, to make them feel comfortable to push us forward. Then a couple other companies approached us, approached us and said, okay, we have a student loan repayment solution. Can we add your share? To our account. Then another one. So the the company named Thrive. We are starting with them. Right. Then couple five twenty nine providers. One of them is Gradvisor. They embedded embedded share into their user portal and their user experience. They even embedded share into their pricing. So then it became obvious that the scalability of fintech partnerships is much much higher than. We would work with individual financial advisors, and even if we work with uh, broker broker dealers or advisor aggregators like Pension Mark, for example. Now we are in the process of integrating EvoShare into seven platforms. Unfortunately, I can't disclose the names, but these are major HSA record keepers 
and major financial wellness tools. The major ones with the millions and millions of accounts. We also started many interesting conversations with uh, payday loan providers to help people. I thought you said you didn't like payday loans. I don't Jenny, like payday. In Ukraine. I don't like payday loans, but this company, uh, we're going to do press release soon. They work with Fortune 500 companies. They provide payday loans at 19% APR, which is lower than major credit cards do. And mm -hmm. we will help people to even lower this interest to pay. Re reduce so th that. This is exactly what I wanted to do. This, when they said that they are interested, I said, guys, whatever. I just want to do this because I hate paid in loans. I don't like them, okay. but they are doing a good job by themselves and we're going to enhance their solution with our technology. Okay. So from that perspective, working with fintechs is much, much easier for us when we exclude 401k plan for, from the equation. And it could be, don't take me wrong. We don't drop it. We just make it phase number two. If a plan sponsor is seeing how we are doing good with emergency saving accounts or HSA accounts or whatever accounts. And then they want to take it to another level and they want to go through the hustle, but it's deliberate action. It's not like, okay, you have to do this. No, they have, it's their decision to do this. We are happy to help. We are happy to connect with their right. payroll companies. So it sounds like in some ways, because of the, you started in 401k. You're obviously now kind of expanding. You're now expanding out and just some of the additional hurdles or headaches with 401k. Not that you wouldn't, wouldn't do it, but there might be an, there might be an easier way to establish a beachhead with a lower kind of hurdle rate with a company by do, let's do emergency savings or let's do it into the HSA where you, where it's just easier. And that might be a great way to do like a proof of concept, if you will, or kind of a pilot with a company that once they kind of, I think it's funny that you said that, uh, you know, a lot of companies, a lot of the HR folks, they think you're lying to them. That's probably because they've been conditioned because quite frankly, lots of folks like in my business like to lie to people and they've been burned one too many times because they've been told, you know, they've been, they've been promised the moon and, and it hasn't lived up to expectation. But, you know, it sounds like maybe whether it's emergency savings or it's HSA or if there's an IRA, something along those lines where it's not kind of the, the compliance burden, that might be an easier way for them to get their feet wet with EvoShare. And then it can be expand, you know, beyond that, maybe they do bring in, you know, maybe they bring in the 401k plan, or maybe they, you know, maybe they don't have to. It is really interesting around, I think you mentioned, was it BPA, whoever the record keeper was, adding this as like an IRA, put money in there. You know, a lot of these record keepers, their big battle is when people retire, they leave a company, they roll their assets over. And so all the major record keepers are trying to do everything possible to keep assets on books. And so it sounds like this is, if I understand it correctly, with this record keeper, if somebody's getting, they've got their 401k account and then they've got their IRA where their, you know, their cashback rewards from EvoShare are coming. And then they wind up separating from service or they wind up leaving, it's easier for the record keeper to probably engage in a conversation like, hey, we already have an account set up with you that's got X amount of dollars with it from your rewards. Why don't you roll your 401k balance into the IRA that's already set up and you don't have to go to a new custodian and you don't have to fill out all this paperwork. It's already there. It's easy. It's simple. And it's a great way for them to keep assets on books instead of seeing those assets go out the door. Is that, yes, correct. That, that is that correct. Kind of their, goal, their goal is not to add 500 to $1,000 per year to the account. Their goal right. is to keep 500000 under the management. This is, right. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. That makes sense. One of the things I want to ask you about is just kind of fintech in general. And you had, you had mentioned that. And this is uh, anybody who has heard the previous episodes. It might be on every single episode so far that I have brought up the idea of just the ERISA space being the 
the forgotten child when it comes to fintech, that most of the fintech is focused in kind of the wealth management, retail, private client focused world, presumably because there aren't some of the regulatory compliance issues with ERISA. I mean, you still have FINRA and you still have the SEC, but you don't have this additional burden of ERISA. Why do you think fintech in general has not focused that much in the ERISA space? You guys are kind of interesting that you're one of the, quite frankly, few kind of well-known fintech startups out there that has really focused in the ERISA space. Why do you think that is? Because I was stupid enough to take this decision. And as I said, if I knew what I know <laughs> right now, I wouldn't do this. If I were insider, it would be impossible for me even think in this kind of manner of putting third-party contributions to strictly regulated plans. So I was lucky not just having an information and we had nothing to lose. I'm not licensed. We are not financial organization. So it was easy for us to take this risk. It's not easy for any financial advisor. It always comes with a fiduciary responsibility. And this is what holds ERISA, I would say, ERISA related industry or financial, ERISA related part of financial industry from innovations. But uh, I don't know how to change this, because unless you guys are going to fire everyone from uh, compliance departments and maybe come up with a new law, it's not easy to penetrate this industry. But what I want to worry you is two things. First thing, if you do not invest in fintechs, you're losing a lot of opportunities. I'm not saying about EOSHER. I'm, I'm just talking in general. The fintech solutions are going to change this industry. And if 401k industry, so the second thing is, if 401k industry is not going to embrace new technologies, new technologies is going to kill 401k industry. And we are seeing this already. So Betterment, they're disrupting IRA space, but now they are launching their product for 401k plan. Vestwell, guideline. Vestwell is working with financial advisors. They are kind of good people for financial advisors. But guideline, no. Betterment, they're doing it directly and they're charging ridiculously low fees. It's 0.25%. It's 25 pips. And there is no fees for their IRAs. That And they're doing a lot of IRAs. So what they do, they actually pull money from conventional retirement industry and manage this money. Companies like Acorns are doing this. Companies like Dash, companies like Robinhood pulling people away from financial advisors. And they're building relationship with uh, millennials and uh, even younger generation right now. So once they, once they earned a certain amount of money, like 250000 550000 $500,000, they are not going to approach financial advisors because they know how to trade. They read this article that Robinhood sends to them. So Robinhood, Acorns, Dash, Betterment, all these companies are trying to pull money and pull people away from financial, from conventional financial industry, from financial advisors. And they are building relationships with them now. So what can we do? We need to let financial advisors to innovate because I'm hearing a lot of great ideas and zero implementation. Why? Because of the compliance, because of the fiduciary risks. It's just too risky to innovate within this space. And there are many examples of such a situation. If it's too risky to innovate, it's going to be a disruption. Instead of disrupting, you guys can evolve. This is what I think uh, is a good path for financial advisors. But it has to be evolution. It, it, it should start now. Otherwise, all these robo-advisors and other fintechs are going to disrupt. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I 
I think certainly there you're seeing some of that. I mean, I, I, I do think when you look at the numbers, and this is going back a few years from a report, but there is if you think about the robo advisors and and kind of the you know the past five years have kind of been littered with robo advisors that had a really hard time crossing the chasm and really succeeding in like the B two C space. You've got a couple, you know, you've got obviously Betterment, you've got Wealthfront that have a huge amount of investment behind them. You know, it's it's not hard to not have to make money when you've got kind of a war chest. It's a lot harder to, you know, survive when you actually have to be profitable and whatnot. And I don't think those I think there's a land grab right now. I do think a lot of the a lot of the robo advisors have have struggled and have kind of either, you know, been acquired by larger advisors or whatnot. You know, I think the real opportunity, and, and we've seen this a little, we've seen definitely seen this. You've got robo advisors from a fintech perspective, but I think the real opportunity, especially in the ERISA world, and and I know some of the the, the fintech providers or a betterment, which obviously has been a lot of brand recognition, their success in the real world of like the ERISA space and retirement plans, it's a very specialized, it's a very specialized area. And it's hard for kind of generalist, even even really good wealth management firms, it's really hard for them to break into the legitimate 401k space because it is so specialized. But I think the real opportunity for fintech in the ERISA space, honestly, is not necessarily building like a another advisory service or a record keeping platform. I actually think it's about building the picks, the pickaxes and the shovels, if you will. Like what I think the fintech community needs to do is build the tools that help these really specialized advisory firms do their job better. That is what you know, we make do. Better decisions. Implement. It, yeah, that exactly. <laughs> like it's the picks and shovels. It's not necessarily the, the platforms. And that's, I think a lot of advisory firms, to your point, there hasn't been a lot of innovation. I don't think there's been a lot of VC money that's been invested. Most of the VC money I've seen has gone into the more retail kind of business to consumer space. But I do think there's a real opportunity. And whether that's you get industry insiders who say, hey, we're going to build and invest in building some of these fintech, these 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 shovels and these axes that we're going to give to advisors. Or you get advisory firms who say, you know what? You know, I have a business problem. I have a so- that I need to solve, and I'm going to figure out a way to kind of build technology to solve it for myself. And then maybe there winds up being a business case around there. But I think as as you get more and more scale, as the industry evolves, especially as you see these record keepers that are putting a lot of money into into their technology stack, like advisors who don't innovate are going to have a, or, or don't leverage more innovative fintech tools are going to have a real hard time competing and scaling over time or finding partners like an EvoShare, if you will, to kind of round out a solution for clients. So really, hey, for clients, part of the, the value prop is, is your advisor. There are certain things I'm going to do for you, but I'm going to be on the lookout for trends and, and solutions that are evolving to help you plug holes that you need. And I'm going to bring you kind of bring them to you. So I may not be delivering it directly, but I'm going to be the one who's kind of putting the puzzle piece in, if that makes sense. Yeah, but uh, I'd like to comment your notion about um, profitability. And I think this is the one thing that prevents, for example, a single financial advisory shop to innovate. You have to stay profitable. I don't have this problem. I have a line of investors that are willing to invest in EvoShare and to support the growth. It's not like this with uh, financial advisory shops, and it's not common that financial advisory shop approaches venture capital and says, okay, we want to innovate. Can you invest in us? Can you support? It's not happening. Another thing is decision-making process. It takes years. If you talk to a record keeper, Within the 401k space, it takes years to to take this decision, right? Uh, to make the decision, yeah. To, or or to or to integrate, right? If you want to integrate with them, like or, it, to, it, or even it's to a integrate, long time to do it. It's, it's a long yeah. time to do this, and so the decision making process takes more time than the lifespan of of a startup. So the startup, you as a startup, you right. have like one year, okay, eighteen months. That's it. Then you drop. If you're not so stupid as, as myself, as me, you drop it. 
So we, <laughs> believe me, we, we've been through very hard times, but now we are okay. So this is one thing, the second one. And the third one, and I think this is the, the way to go for financial firms. They have to develop a way to work with startups. They shouldn't treat the startup company as uh, just a vendor or merchant they work with. Because if you put a startup company through the process of un- of vendor onboarding with all these questionnaires, with all this question about SOC 1, SOC 2, like from, uh, from a security standpoint, startup is not going to invest $500,000 in two years into obtaining SOC 2 without validating the business model. So they have to right. make sure that they have a procedure that accelerates the process for a startup company. So they have to they have a dedicated department to work with startups. That's how they should innovate, in my opinion. And this is part of the, the issue, quite frankly. I think in the ERISA space, especially around retirement, is everybody wants stuff for free. <laughs> and as whether it's advisors or record keepers, you know, we, we, we try to accommodate that, but, you know, just, just to kind of your point, we were talking a little bit before we started, you know, recording for the episode and just advisory firms that as you guys are bringing advisory firms on board to be able to offer the solution out to their clients, you know, one, there's an implementation fee that needs to, to be paid. And then there's obviously a monthly, a monthly fee. But that implementation fee, I think, is an important, you know, it's important for you guys to be able, you can't do it for free. And I think to your point, it kind of flows downhill. We get pressure around, we need to do more, and we have a hard time charging for it. And so then the people that support us, we expect them to do it for free. And, you know, in the long run, it's in your customer's best interest to make sure that, quite frankly, EvoShare is profitable over time. Because if you can't make a business out of it, if you can't run a profitable business, you'll cease to have a business. And that is, so I I think that's a good point that you bring up. You know, it's interesting when you talk about the investment, you know, there isn't traditional VC money that goes into most RIA firms, advisory firms. There's a lot of private equity money that's coming in, but that's usually for one of two things. It's either to buy out existing shareholders, or it's to provide capital for, quite frankly, firms like mine, Green Spring Advisors, where we would take outside capital for the purpose of trying to acquire other firms like us. That's, But not for, hey, we're going to put capital in, and you're not going to use that capital to buy other advisory firms. You're going to use that capital to you know, build out a fintech product or, you know, to build out a number of fintech tools or anything like that. And I'm, I'm just not sure most RIAs, that appetite for kind of that, that risk probably isn't, isn't really there. So, but I do think that we need as an industry, folks like me, like we need better picks, pickaxes and shovels, and we need better tools, the better tools we have. I write about that actually in my latest book, The Fiduciary Formula. You know, I talk about how you know better tools and better analytics is going to allow people within the industry to make better decisions for clients. So I just I love what you guys are doing. I I had heard about you a couple of years ago, and obviously you and I connected for the first time a few weeks ago. But I just love the idea that you guys have, the fact that you guys are making it real. I think uh, in this day and age, you know, it's a it's a pretty cost-free benefit that companies can offer to their employees as part of a total benefits package. And I just, you know, I'm always impressed when really smart entrepreneurs are able to see a problem that seems unsolvable and come up with a solution or a fix. So I give you a ton of credit. And one thing I did want to ask you, and I, I like to ask this of other kind of founders and entrepreneurs, what's the biggest mistake you've made since you started EvoShare, and if you could do it differently, what would you do? Well, I don't think that we've made mistakes. We've made some decisions that we've learned from. I can't name them a mistake. So the, the fact that we started from, from the 401k industry may seem like a mistake, 
but uh, I don't think so. Now, when we talk to 401k record keepers, we are, we are very, very confident in what we are doing. But when we talk to IRA or HSA record keepers, we're even overconfident. We say, hey, we've done it for 401k, so it's a piece of cake. And everyone, oh, yeah. Right. Now when you're with ADP and you went through this tens, you know, dozens due diligence processes, including Visa and MasterCard. So it took a lot of time to put together the platform. We were doing something that no one wanted us to do. Maybe I can call this a mistake. So the mistake is to listen to yourself. If you listen to yourself and do what you want, you may find yourself in the situation that you are the only one who wants it. So instead of doing this, you have to listen market. And that's what we were not doing all the times. Some, sometimes we were mm-hmm. making them. And this is my fault. It sounds like it's worked really well. It sounds like, you know, you've gotten through the, you know, the difficult time. The flywheel is starting to really spin. And, and like I said, there's a lot of great, a lot of great press around what you guys are doing. A really unique spin on, you know, a problem that seems like it couldn't be solved. And so the purpose of this podcast is to make ERISA fiduciary smarter. And you, it all goes back to that billboard. It's Prudential's fault, but, uh, (laughs) goes back to that billboard and and you spent time in this space. So what would be your single best piece of advice to make ERISA fiduciary smarter? Now that you know the the kind of the space, you know some of the challenges, you know, if you were talking to people who are fiduciaries, you know, what would be your greatest piece of advice when it comes to whether it's fintech or whether it's employee benefits or or participants, what would be your best piece of advice for them? So the audience of this podcast are mostly financial advisors, right? And I'd like to to give my kind of ten cents to what you guys are doing. There are there are many limitations within the business, and most obstacles comes come from this fiduciary notion. You are a fiduciary on the plan, and you have to act in the best interest. Of everyone, including participants and employers, basically your clients. So you have all these limitations and there is no room for innovation. But you guys work with asset managers that have a lot of money and they can invest in uh, new technology, new processes, new procedures. They, you work with 401k record keepers. These guys have money to invest and they have capacities to develop new solutions or integrate with new companies. So my piece of advice, if I may, is uh, just say it. Just say, just tell this to your partners. That tell to asset managers that we want something new. Give us this. We to 401k record keepers, how can we improve all the procedures? Some record keepers are sending faxes to Plan sponsors. I mean, I, I don't remember when, when I saw fax machine last time, but we just learned that there is a pr- process through fax. And uh, so stop doing this. Stop working with record keepers that don't innovate and ask for, ask for innovation from those who do innovate. So this is my piece of advice. Don't, don't keep the silence. Don't wait. Don't wait companies like Fidelity, just to exclude you from the equation totally. It's a lot of buzz about disintermediation when large financial organizations want to approach clients directly without advisor being involved. Well, request from these organizations a support and let them know that uh, you are serious by saying this, that you are serious to just switch to another one. You provide the most of the assets to all this organization. You are the biggest force behind the asset movements, I would, movement, I would say. Well, fight for this and ask for innovations. If you don't ask companies like Betterment and Robinhood will come and they will get your clients. Not current, but future right. one. Right, right. 
Good advice. Good advice. Well, where can people go to connect with you or follow what you're up to at EvoShare? We'll put it in the show notes, but what's the best way for people to, to connect with you? Yeah, we have a contact form on our website. So it's evoshare.com and just contact us. We will respond almost immediately. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to say immediately, but almost immediately. Yeah. Okay. Well, Eugenie, thank you so much for being a guest on the Fiduciary You podcast. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I love what you guys are up to, and I'm excited to be able to, you know, help tell your story to, you know, the audience of this podcast and, and beyond. Yeah, thank you very much for inviting me and bearing with my English. So hope I hope your audience will stay with you after after you publish this podcast. But uh, next time my English will be improved. So this is my promise to you. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to today's episode with Eugenie Prochenko from EvoShare. I hope you enjoyed our discussion and have a better idea about how cashback rewards can help your employees or clients save more for retirement. If you'd like more information or to learn more, go to fiduciaryu.com. I've got some great resources there for you, including each episode along with show notes, articles, free tools, and online courses. And make sure to sign up on the site so we can stay connected. I'd love to help you stay in the know about what's happening in the world of corporate retirement plans. And if you've got questions you'd like me to answer, topics you'd like me to discuss, guests you think would be a good fit for the show, or any other feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Also, head over to Amazon and check out my two books, The Fiduciary Formula and Fixing the 401k. And if you want an easy way to support the show, I'd really appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes. It's the best way to help other people find the show, and I read each one. Until next time, thanks again for listening to the Fiduciary You Podcast. And now for some disclosures. Greenspring Advisors is a registered investment advisor. The opinions I express on this show are my own and do not reflect the opinions of my guests or the companies they work for. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. The information and content presented on the show is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.